through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this morning. He had an incredible life. Now, Jesus pulled John and his brother James out of a boat one day. He was mending his nets with his dad and his brother on the Sea of Galilee, working in his boat, and Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. And what does John do? He drops everything, he gets up, and forever his life changes. He just had an encounter with with Jesus. John witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus, this incredible glory that Jesus became so much so that Peter said, hey, we need to build a a tabernacle right here. Let's just stay put. John was right there. He witnessed that. It was John who was with Jesus the night he was betrayed when Jesus said, come into my inner circle. During his hardest of times, John was there. He ended up falling asleep. He was a sinner after all, but John was there. It was John who was charged by Jesus to care for Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he did. He took care of her with with great zeal. It was John who, after heading to a Samaritan town and nobody would give them any lodging, John says to Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy these people? And Jesus rebukes him. No, don't, John, no. And then Jesus gives him the nickname Son of Thunder. If you get a nickname from Jesus like that, that is, that is something. Sons of Thunder. He and his brother. I think it was because John was passionate. John was passionate for the truth. He was passionate in what he believed. John wrote the, the book of John. John wrote it, the the Gospel of John, where we see in John 18, he's writing about Jesus. And it's interesting what Jesus' reply to Pilate is when he asks Jesus, so are you a king? And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the... Anyone know? Truth. And this is what Jesus says... Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. If you are of the truth, you listen to my voice. And John wants Christians to know the truth. In fact, he starts off in our our passage today, and he says right out of the gate, he says, this is the message we have heard from him, that's Jesus, and proclaim to you all. We have heard this message from Jesus. It came from God. It didn't come from man. It came from God. And everyone who is of the truth will listen to it. And now John is going to proclaim it to us. Now, what John is doing is he's breaking down the very basics of Christianity. This is Christianity 101. He wants you to know the truth. He doesn't want us to be deceived by all the false teachers out there. He, wants, he doesn't want us to be deceived and, and have people spread lies about Jesus, about who you are, about what sin is, and about what salvation is. He wants the truth. He wants you to have the truth. He starts out in chapter 1, which Adam covered last week, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's both fully man and he's fully God. Jesus wasn't pretending to be a human. He was actually a human. 
As evidence of our salvation, we need to believe in the true Jesus, not a false Jesus. We don't believe in the Mormon Jesus here. We believe in the true Jesus who is made manifest to us and is revealed in Scripture. And now John continues in our passage today with Christianity 101. And in our passage today, John is going to talk about the reality of who God is and the reality of sin. He's going to show us two paths and two types of people. Those who are in the truth and those who are deceiving themselves in, in a lie. He's going to talk about those who are in the light and those who are in the darkness. There's no gray here. There's light and dark. Those who walk in the light affirm the reality of who God is and what sin does to our relationship. Those who walk in darkness deny the true reality of God and our, our, the true reality of sin. So John starts out today in our passage by showing us the truth of God. So let's look at this. In, verse, in 1 John verse 5, he says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now you've probably seen before the yin and the yang uh, that, that dark swirl and that white swirl, and within each one, there's a dot of the other. So in the dark, there's a dot of light. In the light, there's a dark, uh, or there's a dot of the black. The, the thought goes is, in everything contains a little seed of the opposite. Now when it comes to God, this is an absolutely false view. God does not have a speck of darkness. He is not the author of any sin. What a wonderful truth that our God is supremely good. He is perfect and without blemish. Just look at the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. These all come from God. They emanate from God. God is not a petulant, immature, sinful spirit. I'm going through homeschooling with uh, the kids right now, world history, and we, we read about all these different stories that uh, are these myths and so on, and one of them tells about the myth of Zeus. Zeus, of course, in, in uh, the Greek culture was the head of the gods, and so it tells the story that one day Zeus was looking down at all the earth, and he saw that the earth was, was just filled with little ants running around, human beings, and he's like, this, this earth is overcrowded, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. So he hatches a plan. And the, plan, the plot is this. He's going to get the lady gods to fight amongst each other over who's the most attractive. And then this leads to some altercation where they get this woman named Helen. Uh, she, she starts an affair with this guy named Paris. Uh, her husband doesn't like this. They go to war. There's tons of bloodshed. Overcrowding solved. Zeus is like, all right, I did a good job with that. And doesn't this, this petulant God battle just make you want to bow down and worship them, huh? I mean, thanks, Zeus. What a bunch of petulant, childlike gods. For the Muslims, Allah creates both evil and good. You have to accept that he's the source of both. Now, Christianity, however, holds that God, while sovereignly he ordains all evil and is never surprised or caught off guard by it, he does not author it. He does not create it. He is light, and in him there is 
no darkness. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when we are tempted, Oh, I'm being tempted because of, by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God is light. There is no darkness in him. Now, for those who struggle with the fact there is evil in the world, anybody struggle with that, that there's evil in the world? I think we all do. We need to be reminded of this. Every sin that has ever been committed will be revealed in the last day. Luke 12 tells us nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, God, to whom we must give an account. Sin loves darkness, doesn't it? I mean, if you see a building in town that has no windows... We all know that's probably a building we don't want to go into. Light exposes you for who you really are, but there's nothing hidden from God. There are only two options for those who commit evil. Either the evil is forgiven under the blood of Christ, or God's holy wrath is poured out for all eternity upon them. That's it. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, who by their unrighteousness they suppress the what? They suppress the truth. No one in hell right now is questioning whether God is good or evil. No one, no one is thinking that. No, they, they know for God's holy and just righteous wrath is being poured out upon them for every sin they've ever committed. And it's horrifying if we think about it. It's because there's no darkness in our holy God. It's a truth that is both wonderful and terrifying. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there's Mr. Beaver who's asked about Aslan, the, the lion who represents God. And he's asked this, is Aslan safe? And he says, of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's our king. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, be perfect. Be perfect. What a standard. What a terribly high standard. The problem is, is that we as mankind are not born in the light, but we're born in the what? We're born in the darkness. We are born into sin. We're, we're dead on arrival, spiritually speaking. And so this brings us to number two, truth number two in our passage. Those who walk in the light acknowledge the reality of their sin. Now, we're all born in sin. All of us have it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have fallen short. Would anyone like their boss to tell you, you have fallen short? That's what the Bible tells us about us. Our biggest problem in this life is that God is absolutely perfect and our righteousness is like filthy rags. Romans 3.10 says, There's none righteous. No one seeks after God. There's no fear for God. In our passage today, we see John says this in verse 8. Look at this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. There were those in John's day who were saying, listen, 
Sin committed in the body isn't a problem. It's only your spirit that matters. And, and you know what? We don't sin in the spirit. Good news. And so this would be the application for those who believe that. You can have all the sinful indulgence you want, and it's okay. It doesn't matter. And in our own day, the basic idea really hasn't changed. A few people actually claim that they can obtain perfection in life. Just a few. I mean, talk to their family. That debunks their myth, that myth. But more common in our day, the excuses we make or the, the things we run into with sin are, okay, we make excuses for our sin. We downplay our sin. We say, look, I'm basically good. And while we are quick to say, well, I can't believe in God because there's evil, we're not quick to say, I'm the problem. We cast blame on something else. When you think of your sin as your first response, what's the big deal? Those who walk in the light acknowledge their sin for what it is. Anytime you talk of confession of sin, King David has to come up. He comes up because, A, he's a man after God's own heart. B, he stole a man's wife. C, he committed adultery and impregnated her. D, he lied to her husband. E, he had the husband killed. F, it led to him being disciplined and responsible for his own son's death. And G, David, after being confronted with the word of God, rightly acknowledged his sin before the Lord. We saw in the passage Adam read today how David said, My sin is causing my bones to literally groan. And so David says, I know my transgressions. I know that my sin is forever before me. It's not anyone else's fault. It's my fault. It wasn't the devil who made me do it. It wasn't Bathsheba's attractiveness that made me do it. Against you, Lord, I have sinned. David believed wholeheartedly that God was righteous and he wasn't. But David did all those terrible things. We would, we would never do anything like that, right? Has anyone ever lusted in your heart? Has anyone ever hated someone? Has anyone ever made money, travel, alcohol, an idol in your life? Has anyone failed to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind? What part of no darkness do we not understand about God? John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Brothers and sisters, I think it's easy to claim to be in Christ and say, I'm one of His. I'm part of the fellowship. I'm in. I'm one of you. But false teachers are everywhere. Just go to your local Christian bookstore. False teachers who don't recognize our sin and wrongdoing and try to minimize the need for the cross, what they're saying is, is that God sacrificing His own Son really wasn't needed. And the Bible says that those who do that lie. They don't practice the truth. Romans 6.23 says it plainly. The wages of sin is death. And so when we're cavalier about sin... And we say we have not sinned. We make God a liar. 
Mankind had to have a Savior to rescue us from, a just holy, for the, from the just holy wrath of God. Those in darkness don't recognize this. They laugh at it. Those who walk in the light know that without our Lord and Savior, there would be no hope for us. Which brings us to point number three. Those who walk in the light confess their sin. Now in this passage today, John states that those who are walking in the light will recognize their sin, but they will confess it. Now, simply recognizing you've done wrong and confessing it isn't biblically confessing sin. There was a uh, reality show a couple years ago, I believe, where they were... It wasn't a reality show, but it was more of an interview documentary type series. And they were interviewing a suspected serial killer who had, led, who had left a very suspicious wake in his path everywhere he went. And he was on mic defending himself, saying, no, I didn't do it, of course I didn't, and he had an answer for everything, deny, 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 excuse, excuse, excuse. And when the interview ended, the cameras turned off, he went and got up and went to the restroom, forgetting that he still had a hot mic on. And while he was washing his hands, he essentially confessed to his sin. Of course I did it. I killed them all. Now, he's on trial right now for being tried under his own confession of sin. He wasn't confessing to God. He was confessing to himself. He was talking to himself. People in moments of sobriety confess their sin all the time. Look at Judas. What does Judas say? After he betrayed Jesus, he throws them, he, he, he's got all this money, this blood money. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. You, you are right, Judas, you have. Judas acknowledged his sin, and then he went out and hung himself. So what does it mean to confess biblically? Well, the term confess means this. To say the same thing about sin as God does. To say the same thing about sin as God does. It's to acknowledge his sin. This confession starts at the point of faith for a Christian. When the Holy Spirit removes our heart of stone, we believe and trust on Jesus Christ. It's by grace, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved. And what comes out of that is a confession that's Something like this, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's the beginning of true confession, right there. But true confession is always coupled with something. It's not just confessing your sin. True confession is coupled with something. It's coupled with repentance. I know someone who is a, uh, not in this church who's a flagrant abuser of alcohol. And he destroyed his family he stole from his parents. He's, he's taken advantage of everyone. And he confesses like you wouldn't believe. He confesses his sin constantly. His confession on the surface sounds biblical. The problem, it's hollow. It means nothing. There is no action. There is no change of heart behind his confession. True confession is coupled with repentance. The Bible says in Luke 13, 3, that unless you repent... You all will likewise perish. 
When we are raised to death, from death to life in Christ, we will confess our sins and we will repent. And it is a repentant faith in Jesus Christ. And, and one way to think of it is repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. With your faith in Christ will come repentance. But, but wait a minute. Wait just a minute. With faith in Christ, aren't we forgiven of our sin? The Bible says, For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We're declared not guilty in his sight. We are forgiven. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in Christ, you are forgiven of every sin you have ever committed or will ever commit. So that begs the question, if we're forgiven, if we're forgiven in the Lord, why do we have to keep confessing our sins? And it goes back to what we've talked about here before, is that there is a difference between relational and positional forgiveness. When you come to faith in Christ, you are positionally forgiven forever. But when you come to relationship in Christ, you now have a father. You are adopted. And that father wants a relationship with you. And when you sin, when we sin, it harms the communion of that relationship. I think we can see this in our own lives. Does anyone have children here that occasionally will disobey you? Is that good for our relationship or our negative? It's, it's slightly on the negative side, I would say. It, it's amazing how many times we're at home, I'm high-fiving uh, the kids, and one of them, excuse me, two, there's always two, they're the same ages, um, Always two in my family. There's never just one. Two of them will disobey. And at first, you know, at first it's like, okay, stop that now. And then they'll, they'll keep going and going. And by the time it's through, we're not exactly in communion. There is a relational problem. You know, when I am uh, in one of my uh, selfish moments in the house, and I'm not treating my wife like... Christ, our marital bond is not changing, but our relational bond is. It causes great disharmony. And in a very serious way, when we sin against God, He is grieved and the relationship is harmed because of our sin. Anyone come today with guilt over your sin? Anyone weighed down and having a hard time worshiping? Maybe even a hard time listening to this because of your sin? It affects relationships, marriages, ministries. There are real consequences for sin, even for those who are in Christ. And so, John says, John has the answer for you. He tells you that what he's telling us today is that if we confess our sin to our Father... If we lay our burdens down, it's the way that we've acknowledged we've erred, that we are wrong, that God, you are holy. It is God's gift to us to confess our sin. It is a way for us to unburden ourselves from it, 
to lay it at the cross, to lay it at his feet, to say, yes, I have sinned. Lord, Father, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for who I am in Christ. Thank you that you covered my sin. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for me when I don't deserve it, Father. And you know what it brings, the result of true confession? It brings joy. It brings a clean conscience. And as John says, we actually have fellowship with one another. So as we come to a close, a couple applications before we close for all this. Number one, always draw near to God. Don't run away from Him. I cannot tell you the number of times I have sinned and my first thought is, well, I better give it like, I don't think this, uh, you know, actively, but it's what I, my actions say. Well, I better give this some time to, to prove myself. That's works righteousness. When we have sinned, don't run away from God. Draw near to Him. And just like the prodigal son does, he'll see his father running towards him, putting on a robe, putting a robe around him. That is what we need to do when we have sinned. Confess your sins today. Don't, don't wait. Number two, as long as we have breath, don't make peace with your sin. Don't ever settle for this habitual sin that can so easily control our lives. Remember 1 John. He says, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Those who practice habitual sin are not walking in the light. We have to confess our sins. And that leads us to number three. Remember, true confession, it comes with repentance. Pray for, for God to change your heart. Pray, get into the Word, meditate on this passage today. Number four, never think you have arrived. If you've arrived, you're dead. You will never arrive here on this earth. We are always going to be tainted with sin. Anybody that says, I beat sin, I've got a pyramid scheme I'd like to sell you, run, okay, run away. You can't beat you're always going to have sin in your life. You're always going to be tainted with sin. We're going to be confessing our sins for the day until the day we die. And number five, and this is probably the most important in one sense, confess your sins privately, confess your sins corporately, confess your sins to one another. You know, don't hide your sins any longer. Don't try to hide them. Don't try to suppress them. The Lord knows about them anyway. You know, one of the, the, the wonderful blessings of, of being in a church like this, we, we practice the biblical responsibility of elders. And I assure you, we elders are not here because the job is glamorous or the pay is great or anything like that. The position, the title. We're here to guard the flock to keep watch over the flock by the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you have a sin that you can't seem to beat on your own, come to the elders, confess your sin, and we can help you work and walk through that. We can't absolve your sins, not even Daryl Timberlake, but Christ can. Christ can. And we can point you to Him.
and the truth in Scripture. So in closing, here's the bottom line. You can't walk in the light without faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you are here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, believe on Him who alone by His blood can cleanse you from every sin you have ever done or will ever do. And Jesus beckons all His children into everlasting fellowship, into communion with Him. Let's pray. Father, what a... 